Namaskaram everyone. Welcome back to the podcast. Today we have a very special guest. We have uh, Dr. Ashwin Anna, who is practicing as a psychiatrist in Monash Health, Melbourne, Australia. Thank you for coming on the show, Ashwin Anna. Anna, thank you very much for having me. I, yeah. you know, I'm, I've seen you online so much and now I'm very happy to be here with you, you in person. Yes, so with your permission, we can go directly into the podcast if that's okay. Yeah. So could you talk like uh, a bit about how long you have been practicing in this field so that the listeners and, you know, we get to know you a bit more better. Yeah. So, um, you know, I, I grew up in Canada. So there medicine is a postgraduate degree. So to study medicine, I first had to finish four years of an undergraduate degree, BSc. Then I did medical school, which was five years. And then I trained in psychiatry for five years. And since, and I completed my training maybe about five, six years ago. Six years ago. So, so I've been a, practicing as a psychiatrist for six years and for the five years, for 11 years in total, I've been working. Oh. So before we go into like more of it, like could you talk a bit about like uh, the podcast is like I structure in such a way that, you know, we get to know the person more. So if you could talk like a bit about your childhood, your school and how you decided to come into psychiatry and why it would really be very insightful for us. <laughs> Okay, I'll go. And, and if, I, if, I, if I go on too much, you can stop me and ask me. No, okay. too much is good. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so um, I, I was actually born in Kerala in Kochi. That's where, that's where my mother is from. Oh, I'm, then, I'm here right now. <laughs> <yeah>. <laughs> so very happy to see, see yeah. all of that background. Yeah. Uh, so, but, 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 but I mean, my life involved a lot of travel. So between the ages of two and four, we were in Africa and Nigeria. And we came back to Kerala for a few years. And when I was 10, we moved to Ireland uh, in Europe. And then when I was 14, we moved to Canada. And that's where my family finally settled. And hometown then for me is this uh, town called Trenton, which is 200 kilometers outside of, um, outside of Toronto. Okay. Um, but, then, but then, you know, when I was 24, I decided to go back to Ireland to study and during one of those summers, I went to Australia to travel and I met an Australian girl. And so that was 15 years ago. Oh. And ultimately, we got married. Oh. And for the past few years, we've been, I've been living back and forth between Canada and Melbourne. So I've been here in Melbourne for the past three years. Yeah. You went very fast of meeting Akka. That should have been an elaborate story, but that's okay. <laughs> oh, no, no. You know, if, if you like, I'll talk a bit more about sort of then the, you know, what happened in my childhood and what shaped you know, things going forward. You know, I, 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 in, in my father's hometown was this uh, town called Punalu, close to Kotem. So I spend a lot of time there. So there I was very close to nature. Also in Nigeria, in Africa, I was also very close to nature. But my family were very religious. So, so I got this message that, um, you know, I, I couldn't trust what I was observing in the world. What my elders or my, my parents or my, um, well, the religious leaders were saying that was, that was correct. So, so, you know, I, 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 I didn't really trust what I was seeing. I couldn't trust the inner wisdom and what I was observing. So, that, that, so there was a lot of, lot of conditioning that, that, um, that happened. So it's in the context of that, that the seed that I should become a doctor was planted. My, my father was a doctor. And the messaging that I got was that you know, being a doctor was the be all and end all. It was the ultimate accomplishment in, in, um, in human life and everything else was unworthy. I had no particular passion for it growing up. So, so um, I just kind of went along because you know, it was hard to resist that sort of conditioning. 
but you know that that caused a lot of internal anxiety you know just going along with what somebody else wanted and so since from age 14 i would say i've felt this tremendous sort of internal 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 struggle i could just couldn't be comfortable um where 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 i was with, within myself so when i look back a few years you know after after many years i see that on paper i'd accomplished a lot of things you know i you know become a researcher i then i went to medical school i trained in psychiatry particularly because i wanted to understand how the human mind worked but um but it didn't but it didn't sort of bring fulfillment and it didn't it didn't bring to rest that internal discomfort that um that i was that i was feeling now college years in north america are also very interesting uh there you know hedonism is is promoted as a way to satisfaction what, is, what is that what is that hedonism basically gratuitous fulfillment of of all desires so so things like in college you know alcohol and drugs and you know non-committal superficial short-term relationships are all are readily available so i didn't quite get entangled in any of those things but certainly i dipped my feet in feet in enough to know that um this wasn't going to reach to reach um fulfillment so um yeah so 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 now again a bit more in in north america you know there was this culture of leaving home to study and for professional development so when i was about 17 18 i left home okay and i went to college okay <laughs> and and so in college i met a lot of people from various backgrounds and um so there there i realized that not everybody thought the way my parents uh my parents did so slowly kind of the religious ideas of my upbringing were oh, were okay. by sigmund freud oh. and also rationalist science you know and then and then so i wanted to i wanted to explore truth in a more more rationalistic and 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 scientific way so i went to graduate school i went to i went to do a masters i went to, went to do research and um you know i i i went to this university called mcmaster university where where modern medicine so probably you know evidence based medicine was born so so when there with the idea that i mean i was going to think my way way to truth so one thing i wanted to say was you know talking about freud and i know you yourself had you know did some work in 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 psychology or interested so freud presented for me a much more complex view of the mind and of human experience than kind of the medieval um religious ideas that i was that i was presented with so I, i thought so when when i first discovered freud it was it was a big it was a big opening for me okay. but then when i was in graduate school and doing research i mean i i you know i thought a lot about things and i thought i could think my way to the truth and i quickly recognized that my mind wasn't going to be the answer um and i knew that if i pushed my mind long enough i could i could sort of i could i could damage it as well okay so 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 saw the limitation of that now i could pause there for a minute to see if you if if you know if i'm if you want to ask any questions or if you want to take us in any other direction or no, if i should no it's going it's going great like continue on like i think it's perfect yeah so i'll tell you when, when i was about um 21 or 22 september 11 happened okay oh and okay yeah you were there you were there at that time i i was in canada and okay. and it was very close i mean i okay. basically on the border with the us so we're so heavily influenced by what happens in the us and i traveled back and forth i had a lot of family so i mean i was frequently traveling back and forth so that was a big wake up call for me in terms of moving you know just waking up from a very more sort of superficial life see when i was growing up i'd always hear from my father that america was the well, you know in america the sky was the limit and america of course included canada yeah, and what this meant was that if you're willing to work hard 
you could accomplish whatever you wanted professionally materially this is the american dream i hear about it a lot in movies <laughs> this is the american dream and, yeah. and we were sold this and of course my father believed it so he went there okay. and my uncles also believed and so they, they went to the states um usually so, in kerala we have the gulf dream i think you and oh, okay. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. so i know i know of the gulf dream too but my father he, he, he followed the american dream yeah <laughs> so so um yeah so so you know basically what, what, and i believe that hey in america everybody's equal all that kind of stuff everybody's equal opportunities but then after september 11th i noticed that there were a lot of racist policies that the american government was now enacting and it was being enforced systematically for example when when i'd go to the us airports or when i'd be crossing the border from canada to the us by road i'd be stopped for random checks and this is a lot this in my opinion had a lot to, lot to do with my physical appearance i could pass for somebody from the middle east so that made me very angry like you know how, how just because the way i look you're treating me differently right? right so i joined the activist movement you know i joined the anti war protests and things like that oh okay you have to talk that. about that i have seen this only in the news a little bit yes so, so basically i mean i was um i was reading the book manufacturing consent by noam chomsky and many other books and he is this sort of this figure sort of this activist figure who triggered active act, you know activism in, in 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 a lot of lot of young folk and i remember you know when he came to our university i went with one of the professors from my department to listen to him speak you know when i'm part of this this kind of progressive activist movement you know i, I there's a sense of enlightenment that i felt because i mean i really know how the world works i mean i've rejected mainstream thinking all these people are asleep and and you know the fundamental thinking was if i could just change the world enough i could feel better inside you know that was the thinking right but when i looked around a lot of my activist sort of uh friends and so on i saw a lot of um fellow activists saw a lot of anger and it was very unstable i knew that this was not going to lead to anything positive you know this this much anger is is not is not going to help right so a few years later i left felt my you know met my wife and she had a lot of sort of family like grandparents generation or even older who had died in the holocaust in the jewish holocaust and her perspective was unless activism comes from a place of love um you know it's not going it's not going to work and if it's coming from a place of anger and hate it's not really going so for the next so i'm like okay I, i believe that and for the next and then subsequently a lot of my energy has gone into the relationship right so the relationship has consumed a lot of energy and you know growing up this idea of romantic love if you find the right romantic partner your life will be deeply fulfilled is that that was presented in all the movies everybody believed it i believed that growing up and we so we still believe I, it we still believe it <laughs> i don't i don't know <laughs> So I learned very quickly that that's not true. I mean a relationship is hard work. I mean you have to be very it's like sadhana relationship is a form of sadhana. And it's constantly balancing balancing things. It's not that you don't just unconsciously it doesn't take you anywhere, right? Right. So so that that, that was so a lot of a lot of the avenues that I um that I thought were going to lead to fulfillment um did not did not take me did not take me what, to what i was looking for right so so yeah so so i thought you know a lot of what i've been told growing up by my parents then by the religious establishments by society nothing was working <laughs> nothing <laughs> was working in terms of taking me to fulfillment and calming that kind of conflict inside so i remember when i was about 19 years old i remember watching a television program and there was a very um 
and a very well-known Western Buddhist scholar who had just returned from monastery in India. And he was talking about how in the Buddhist universe, in the Buddha, in the Buddhaverse, life, the natural state of life, the natural state of a human being is one of harmony and peace. Now, I'd grown up in the Catholic Church where we're talking about original sin, and, and also Freud is talking about the Oedipus complex. So I thought, you know, I thought conflict was, was the natural state of a human being. But now this idea that, and, and I certainly feel conflicted inside. And I'm like, this is not sustainable, this sense of feeling. So the idea of harmony really appealed to me. But it was not really until I was about 24 when all the other avenues that I spoke of had been um, exhausted that I said, okay, maybe, maybe I'll follow this spiritual, this spiritual thing. And I, and I started attending Buddhist centers and I was introduced to meditation. So that was 17 years ago. And since that time, I've practiced in many traditions. I mean, mainly Tibetan Buddhism in Zen Buddhism. Uh, also, I've done Qigong. And I've seen various kinds of healers. For example, I've spent time with um, a couple of shamans from the Peruvian Andes, from the Peruvian Amazon. I've done, I've done sort of psychotherapy and psychotherapy was part of my training, but I, I made sure that I selected psychotherapists who were also Buddhist, Buddhist teachers and so on. So did a lot of that. Could you talk and, a bit more about that Buddhism and what I think people would love to listen about that, like how you found them and the experience? Oh yeah, yeah. So, so I'll talk about, um, I mean, I think the, the type of Buddhism that really sort of appealed to me was, you know, um, was Zen, even though I started off in Tibetan Buddhism and Sadhguru talks a lot about how Tibetan Buddhism is really a, um, a mixture of, of um, Tantra, Tantra from-, from You're Buddhism. watching Sadhguru exclusive, I think. <laughs> talks about mixing Tantra and, and, um, and you know, the, the, the cultures of, of Tibet. And so, I mean, for me, it, it, was, it was something that, that I, I, I took to because there were, there were um, you know, where, where the, the, the town in Eastern Canada where I was living, there was this great Tibetan master. His name was Chogyam Trungpa. He's, he's well known. I mean, he was a radical man and he drank a lot and he, and he oh. had sort of, a, you, you know, crazy wisdom, they called it. Okay. So, so he, he had left Tibet, he came to India, then he went to Oxford University to do a PhD. Then from there, he went to America and he established a big, uh, a big center and he called it Shambhala, Shambhala, Shambhala. And so then he, at some point in the 1980s, he went to Eastern Canada and a lot of the students from America came with him. And so with, with um, him were many professionals, were doctors, engineers, psychiatrists, and some of these people got faculty academic positions at the university where I was training. Okay. So that's how I was introduced to this. And, and it was great. It provided, it provided me with a, with a community. I learned, I started learning how to meditate. But then the, the path that really appealed to me was Zen. So Zen is a very, if, for example, when, I, when you look at sort of the Tibetan, Tibetan drawings and murals and so on, there are these, you know, the, there are pictures of the gods and goddesses, you know, magnificent multicolored. Some are very, very sort of fierce and all of that. Zen in comparison is very, very sterile. People wear these um, black robes, there's nothing on the walls. And the meditation is called Zazen, where you just sit and you stare at the wall, right? Oh, is it? Okay. So, so it's, it's, it's a very, in my opinion, a very brutal form. And for me, when I actually look back, I wasn't really meditating. What I was doing is I was sitting, I was staring at the wall and I was in my head. It was just, 
sheer torture and agony. It's a path with a lot of energy, but at my phase in life, I invest a lot of time in it, but I, but I wasn't getting, um, you know, all, all these things I think, I think helped. It helped me cope a little bit uh, or somewhat with the internal, cope the internal conflict that I was feeling, the distress that I was feeling, but it didn't really alleviate that distress, okay? So, so I mean, I, I just want to pause there for a second. Is there anything more I can talk about Buddhism or? No, that, that I wanted to know how you went and that you covered that. That's perfect. That, that, that was it. So, so, I mean, I, I, I then, um, then I want to come to Isha and Sadhguru. So things changed. So, so for 17 years, I'd been trying various, various different things. Uh, but it was three years ago when I was initiated into Shambhavi that, that things changed dramatically. Um, so, you know, I, I, I was always on the spiritual, spiritual seeking. I was always looking online, internet. I was looking at various spiritual teachers and I, and I, you know, I've studied with many. So one night I, I saw, you know, a Sadhguru just popped up on the screen and, and initially I, I honestly, I found him, I first, I found it to be very boring. So I just clicked, I clicked past. Okay. <laughs> and I said, oh, okay, you know, I mean, <laughs> so, so, but then, I, but then I, I came back to it. I remember maybe, maybe a couple of months down the road and I, I just, this time he came up again. I didn't turn off. I said, oh, I'll turn it off. I'll turn it off now. I'll turn it off now. Okay. And before I knew it, I think about an hour or so had passed, and I was my mouth was just open like this. Oh, wow. And then, and then, <laughs> and then underneath there was this advertisement that came: Inner Engineering Online. <laughs> 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 I think I think some volunteers were sitting in America. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. So I clicked on it and I said, "Oh, okay. There's this Inner Engineering Online course." So I signed up for Inner Engineering right away, and and um, and I was and I started taking the program. So at that time, you know, my son was very young. My son had just been just been born. My wife was going through a long sort of health health crisis. So what I would do is I get up very early in the morning. I get up around three o'clock because oh. I had to go to work and I could leave for work at around seven or something. And I and I would sit down and I'd do the modules. And I have to tell you, within the first hour of doing the first module, I knew that I was going to be free. I had this sort of internal sense that I was. I didn't know what that meant, but that this was it. Uh, I I discovered the, the the final thing. You know. Um, so, you know, I finished inner engineering online and, and, um, and I finished it all and said, oh, this is it. But then at the end they said, oh, you can now learn something called Shambhavi Mahamudra Kriya. Yeah, okay. And it's in person. I said, what is this? I thought, I thought this course is everyone initially disappointed, right? Yeah. And this person said, oh, how, do, how do I go and learn this? Because I'm in such a small town in Eastern Canada. It's so isolated. I mean, you know, wh where do I go? And then. Before I knew it, there was another ad that came across the screen. Sadhguru <laughs> is coming to San Diego <laughs> for engineering total. And, and he's coming, you know, in two weeks, in, in, in two weeks. And I said, my God, I have to do this. So I went and told my wife and I said, this is not the time you have a small baby. <laughs> and I thought about it, said, no, I'm going, I'll get my mother to come from Toronto and she'll stay with you. I don't care. I have to do this. So, so eyes closed. I, I booked, it, it was basically a retreat. It was an inner engineering retreat that Sadhguru does. There was only a hundred people. I booked, I, I called and I said, oh, they said, oh, you know, this is usually the program as well as accommodation oh. uh, you know, packaged in together. But they said, we, all the accommodation is full already. Oh. You're too late. And I said, oh, what am I going to do? 
So then I said, don't worry, let me register for the program, but I'll book Airbnb close by. Oh, okay. okay. So they said, okay. So I, I quickly found an Airbnb, I registered for the program and, and within two weeks I was, I was, um, you know, I was in San Diego. <laughs> I, did, I did the program and- um, Sadhguru was there. Sadhguru was there for your retreat. Sadhguru was there. Okay. Sadhguru was conducting the program. So oh, which year? Which year? Which year was this? Oh, 19, uh, 1997. Uh, sorry, so what am I saying? 2007. <laughs> yeah, sorry, 2007. Yes. 2017 was May, and um, it was great. It was great. There was a, I, I was amazed. There was a lot of dancing because mm -hmm. I, you know, I thought I thought spirituality was something very very serious and, yeah. and all that, but there was a lot of dancing and singing, and I absolutely loved it. And and um, so so I, so I did that. So then, then, then of course I had to go back home to Canada, and and for the next three months or so, um, you know, I I, um, I practiced just in that small town by myself. I just I just did my daily sadhana, but my wife, who's Australian, had had enough of the Canadian winters. She she was tired of seeing snow piled up to the you know the top of the windows, and she's been telling me for the previous year, let's move to, uh, let's move to Australia. But I was, I was dragging my mind, you know, I was dragging, I was dragging my feet saying, you know, you know, I'm, I'm here, I'm comfortable here. Why am I going to Australia? So, but, but I mean, when I did the program, it, it somehow cleared up a lot of, lot of blockages. And I said, of course I should move to Australia where, you know, where my wife wants to be. So within, within three months, we were, you were, we're here in Melbourne, Melbourne, Australia. And the great thing here is that, um, you know, there, there's a small, but there is a very strong committed Isha community here and I started volunteering for programs and volunteering has just been as important as sadhana, sadhana for me because um, you know I, I, I would say I would say in the last um, you know not after after the, after three years I can finally say that I've found a sense of peace and, and calm within 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 myself and um, I think the key factor in all of this is really developing a better, better understanding of my mind. Um, you know, it's, it's, so I have a very busy mind and I think, I think I'm always sort of agitating it. And I realized that if I can just let it settle, if I can just let it calm, be, be at peace, then, then um, I, I'll be a lot more calm myself. Because, because of my, because I like to think a lot. I mean, I, at night I have trouble, have troubles, I used to have trouble sleeping. And during the day I felt very agitated in the body. But allowing the mind to rest, everything has sort of, um, everything has uh, come, 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 to, come to a greater sense of peace. Um, you know, when, when, when I look back, a lot of that anxiety uh, was caused by this mental activity, this being in the mind. And, and this positive mental agitation, physical, physical, physical agitation, and this so, so and and I would say, this this level of, um, I mean, it's it's only the last few weeks, few months, in the context of COVID and and th that kind of intensity that it has brought that, this this has happened for me. I, I think typically, you know, what would happen is you know I'd run away with the mind. You know, I mean, a a um, you know say a disappointment may happen, then get pulled down into more of a depressed state, and then. Um, you know, something happy or something, something positive may happen, then I can run off into a very positive, you know, fantasy, fantasy, exactly. can create a fantasy world. Right. And now what I'm having is, what I'm noticing is that when disappointing things happen, I'm less likely to stay in that place of, of feeling, feeling low 
you know, I, I can bounce back up very quickly. And if I'm off something positive happens, I'm not going up there. I'm just kind of staying, staying level. So that's just, that's just freed up a lot of energy. Uh, um, and, and I'm recognizing this is probably what Sadhguru says, you know, if, if you don't mess with your mind, you'll be perfectly okay. <laughs> so, so I think, and I'm starting to get a firsthand, um, firsthand, you know, experience of that. So, Anna, like everyone is saying, like, because of this COVID and all that, the mental health pandemic is coming. So is that like, do you see an increase in people facing anxiety and stress while you're working in this field? So, so my work right now, I work in the emergency room. And so Monash Health is one of the largest health services in, in, in Australia. It has, it has you know, three main hospitals and I work in one of the hospitals and it's, it's a very busy emergency department. So I'm part of the emergency psychiatric service. So when various patients come in, if, they're, if they've got a mental health concern, they'll call the psychiatric team, which includes me. So I'm seeing, um, I think what's happening is, see people, people are always going to be stressed out by something, that's what I'm but right now the stressor is COVID. So COVID is on many people's minds. Um, uh, also in Melbourne, we've been in lockdown for the past, past couple of months. Um, you know, and so that's also having, uh, that's also squeezing people very heavily because it's cutting them off from, from a lot of their supports. And, and they're having to stay inside. Yeah. yeah. If they're working from home, they're starting to trying to homeschool. So it's like it's the, the life has become like a house has become like a pressure cooker. And for, yeah. for many people, some people anyway, they're experiencing it at the prison. Right. So so this is this is really increasing people's um, anxiety and their stress. And people are vulnerable already. It's 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 aggravating all that. So we do see a lot of people coming with um, with stress. And and of course, I mean, it, it can when stress becomes very extreme, it can lead to issues such as thinking of suicide and so we so we see, we see um, a lot of that so it's definitely putting putting pressure on people uh, for sure so also like uh, like uh, you're you're a psychiatrist so like is like meditation and yoga like is it scientific like just like western medicine is super scientific like or is this just like a mumbo jumbo? Like coming from you, it would be great because I get a lot of questions in my DMs. Like I'm facing stress, but I think should I, you know, will this help me? So, uh, do you think like uh, is it or is it just some random thing from your own experience? Like so from my own, ex I mean, you know, from my own personal experience, I mean, it's it's been transformative. I've been practicing this for 17 years, and I've looked into it in many ways. So it's worked, and it's and it's worked for many people, and it's worked for you, and, yeah. and for many of the listeners, right? But then, I mean, there's also how do we how do we um, how do we answer the logical rationale? Yeah, yeah. That's and for that, we need classical research. Yeah. And and there is a mountain of evidence for for meditation. And um, you know, I, I was involved. I, I've been doing. I've been involved with different kinds of mindfulness and meditation research for some time. I'm working on a couple of, because I was an assistant professor of medicine at Dalhousie University in Eastern, Eastern Canada. So I, under that, I did a couple of studies, which we're now writing up for publication. But also, um, there, there is a tremendous amount of evidence for, for, um, uh, for meditation uh, practices. In fact, what I've done is, um, I want, what I want to start doing now is I want to start looking at practices such as inner engineering, Isha Korea, and so on. So I've actually made a little PowerPoint slide. Yeah, yeah. Could you show that if it's possible? Like, I, I can certainly, I can certainly show that. Yeah. If shall we show it now? Yeah, yeah. yeah. 
So, I mean, I, I'm going to, I've made it for academic people. Yeah. So it may become very dry and boring. So you throw in whatever you can to spice <laughs> <Yeah>. it up. <laughs> okay. And mainly, mainly ask for clarification. Yeah. Okay. If something's not clear. Okay. So I'll just do share screen with you. Yes, yes, I can see the benefits of Isha Yoga. Yeah, so this this is something, this is the type of, type of presentation that I would do for uh, the academic um, community. And, I've, and I'm, I want to start a research study on Isha Kriya or inner engineering at Monash Health. And so this is something that I've been presenting to the community there, the academic community there to, you know, basically get their interest. So this is specifically about Isha Kriya. And this particular, um, do we need to explain what Ishakriya is or can I go right yeah, into that? Yeah, you can explain it a bit actually, I think, like what it is. So, so first of all, Ishakriya is, is a 15 minute guided practice that anybody can do and they, and they can learn it in person or they can learn it online. So this particular study is a Harvard Medical School study which measured the impact of Ishakriya on operating room professionals, which included surgeons, anesthesiologists and nurses. So this study, an in-person meditation workshop, was demonstrating was demonstrated during surgical uh, meetings and at also an international anesthesia conference using the 15-minute uh, guided issue Korea. The participants were surveyed for mood changes after the meditation using the profile of mood states questionnaire. So basically, it measured mood states such as tension, anger, fatigue, depression, and confusion. So. This graph shows total mood disturbance on the left-hand side. And if we look to the right, this is before meditation. Oh, so okay. they had higher mood disturbance before meditation, but immediately after Ishakriya, the 15 minutes, their mood disturbance came down. Okay. So these, these were for the surgeons, the surgical meeting. But the same thing we saw for the anesthesi anesthesiologists at the anesthesia conference. So their mood disturbance came down after the Ishakriya meditation practice. So this basically means that they were far less distressed after the Ishakriya, just one Ishakriya session. Just one, okay. Yeah, just one. So if you'd like, I'll move on to the next slide. Yeah. Unless you have some questions. Yeah. So how many participants were there in like each of these? Like... Oh, I think it would have been, it would have been between 50 and 100. If 50 I and 100. Yeah, but these are all very trained, like proper. These are, these, are, yeah. these are these are these are hardcore operating <laughs> yeah. and they're the hardest bunch to reach. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> even it worked even for them. Yeah. Okay. Yes. Next slide. So this is inner engineering online, and this and again I'll give you the the talk that I usually give the academic talk. Yes. So yeah. Online is a course that imparts practical tools to manage one's body, mind, emotions, and energy. <laughs> engineering is distilled from the essence of yogic sciences. It's seven online modules, approximately 90 minutes each. And the modules include discourses and guided meditations. And once you complete a module, it unlocks a Q&A video that clarifies topics explored in each module. So this particular study was conducted at Rutgers University, New Jersey, and it measured the impact of inner engineering online on a group of employees at a US Fortune 500 company. Employee well-being and positive organizational behavior was measured before and after the inner engineering online program. So the parameters they measured were basically two groups. One was employee well-being, and this included energy, joy, mindfulness, 
a sense of wholeness within oneself and a connection with colleagues. And also positive organizational behavior. So this is meaningful work, psychological capital and work engagement. So those are the things that I think employers will be very interested in. Well-being of the uh, yeah. employee as well as the um, as well as how well they're contributing to the work. So this is a busy slide, but I'll basically it shows that when we look at different parameters, psychological capital, self-efficacy, hope, optimism, after inner engineering online, they had improvement in all these parameters. So this is after and this is before. So as you can see in all these parameters, inner engineering online improved. When it comes to work engagement, connection with work, dedication, vigor at work, also inner engineering, it improved after there was an improvement. Also mindfulness, just being mindful of what's arise, arising in the present moment, sense of inclusiveness, joy and vitality. Also there was an increase in all of these after the inner engineering online uh, training program. So usually I say it helps inner engineering won't make you go to Himalayas and it will help you with work. So now we have research which actually shows that you know you can. Absolutely. <laughs> it, and, and this is something um, I think employers will be very interested in because it not only makes their employees more happy, it makes them much more productive at work. So I think it'll, it, it, if nothing else, it'll improve the company's bottom line. So the next study was also on inner engineering online and they were looking at employee stress and burnout. And this was a Harvard Medical School study and they looked at perceived stress, stress levels in employees. So uh, this, there are two groups here. There is this blue graph and line and the red line. So the blue line are the people who got inner engineering online. Okay, cool. So we can see that for these people from week zero to week four, as they were doing the modules, their stress levels came down quite a bit. And it came down even further. Now the red group were the control group. These okay. people were asked to not do inner engineering. Okay. They were just asked to do some, do some self-care like reading and what have you. So they didn't, you know, their, their change between week zero, week four was slight, not really significant. But at week four, they were asked to start the inner engineering module. Oh, and you all, of a sudden, all of a sudden, okay. their stress levels go down quite a bit. Okay. Right? I, I was so, about to ask, like, without they also reached what they did to suddenly, you know, decrease their stress. Yeah. Exactly. They did inner engineering at this point. So it just basically shows that inner engineering online can reduce stress. And we already saw that it can improve our sort of our functionality within ourselves and, and within work. So. And, and right now, just because of the restrictions around the world, inner engineering is really what's available. Yeah. But, but as you know, as soon as restrictions uh, raise, we, we'll go back to inner engineering total, which is, um, so, so just, just to explain, so this is, the, this is a three-day in-person program, which includes all of the content of inner engineering online, plus learning the Shambhavi Mahamudra Kriya practice. So this particular study was conducted at the University of California at San Diego, and it measured the impact of inner engineering total. So for this, participants attended a three-day in-person inner engineering total program. Following the program, participants were instructed to practice the Shambhavi Mahamudra Kriya for 21 days. And after six weeks of daily practice, stress was measured using the perceived stress scale and general well-being was measured using the general well-being scale. These are like scales used to measure like the stress. Yes, exactly. Those are the rating scales that they used. So this is stress, the perceived stress scale, and this is well-being. So I mean, I'll explain what, what these three lines mean. 
So there were three groups. They found that after inner engineering, there were three groups of people. There were people, the black line were people practice daily, every day. Oh, okay. okay. And we see that for them, there's a sharp decline over time. From week zero to week six, they had a big decline in their stress level. Now, this dotted line here were people who practice moderately. So oh. they, they, they okay. some days, but they also practice some days, okay? Okay, okay. So they too had a decrease, but not to the extent of the people who practice daily. Okay? okay. And now, this dotted line were people who didn't practice very much. Maybe they practiced once or twice. Oh, oh my God, I'm mind blown by this. Like, now I can show people like practice daily is important. <laughs> so so this, this has shown me that practicing consistently is vital to, to maintaining and actually achieving the benefits. Now let's look at well-being on the other hand. So we see that the people who practice on a daily basis, their well-being went up considerably. Okay? And the people who were practicing moderately, their well-being also went up, but not to the extent of uh, people who um, practice daily. Now, the people who were not practicing consistently, their well-being actually went down. Oh. So, so I mean, I mean, I don't know if this is statistically significant, but it certainly, you know, it hasn't gone up, and you know, it's, it's gone down a little bit. So, so this just shows that practicing consistently is so vitally important. <laughs> this is very, very uh, good. This, this part itself, I can make a video out of it. <laughs> yeah, definitely. And I, 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 think, I think people need to sort of understand that it's very important to yeah. practice. Next, I want to go to Bhavaspandana. Oh, oh, that also research is there. I didn't yes, know that. Yes. So, so Bhavaspandana I have done. Um, and so this is a, it's a four day, it's called short form BSP. It's a four day advanced yoga and meditation program designed to enhance participants perception and sensitivity to life by going beyond the limitations of body, mind, and experiencing higher levels of consciousness. So to do BSP, inner engineering, including the Shambhavi Mahamudra Kriya is a prerequisite. So you have to do that first before you do it. So this particular study was conducted at Indiana University School of Medicine, and it measured the impact of BSP. So participants attended the four-day in-person BSP program, and uh, the study measured depression, anxiety, awareness, and observation of what's happening in the present moment, happiness, all these things were measured. Also a couple of neurochemical markers were measured. Endocannabinoids, these are neurochemicals associated with enhanced mood and reduced anxiety, depression were measured. And we'll talk a bit more about that afterwards. And also brain-derived neurotropic factor, which is a neurochemical associated with neuronal regeneration. These, both of these things were measured. That's great. <laughs> Endocannabinoids is the same thing when people smoke weed and something like that. And, and you know what? Mm -hmm. I'll, I'll come back to that. Yes, it's, mm -hmm. it's, it's a natural cannabidiol. Now, maybe mm -hmm. I'll, we'll talk about that a bit more when we okay. get to it. So let's look at the, so this is depression and this is anxiety. So this is pre-meditation. This is post-Bhavaspandana. So we can see that there's a sharp decline in depression after, senses of feeling of depression after Bhavaspandana. Okay. Same thing with anxiety. It's gone down. And this just shows the change. It shows that, you know, it went down the, the Depression scores went down, anxiety scores went down. So let's look at awareness and observation. So this is basically what people call mindfulness, which is just capacity to aware, attend to what's happening in, in the moment, right? Basically being perceptive of what's really there. People's capacity to perceive what's really there went up after Bhavas Pandora. Likewise, their sense of happiness went up as well. Okay. So... <laughs> Now let's go to the biological, the end, neurochemicals. We see that the endocannabinoid anandamide yeah, okay. went 
and also the nerve growth factor BDNF okay. also went up. Went up. So this is basically, this means that the brain can regenerate itself, rewire itself. So I want to come to the question of endocannabinoids. And um, so the reason why cannabis uh, can give people a euphoric effect sometimes is that because the body contains receptors and pathways for that already. So cannabis is an external, you know, THC or tetrahydrocannabinol that we get from marijuana or weed is an external substance that triggers a natural pathway giving us euphoric states. So what it means is that a capacity to experience euphoria is within us. Okay. And, and for me, I have to say that when I did BSP, it was a great party, I had a good experience. I didn't quite feel the euphoria, but when I volunteered for BSP, BSP happened. Okay. I felt it, right? Okay. I felt, you know, you know, to be honest with you, I've also experimented with cannabis in my past, but now with this, I realized that it's, it can naturally just happen. So, and this explains why, because BSP is causing a natural endocannabinoid to go up in the body, right? So we're generating natural cannabinoids to give us that euphoric state. So it explains in part why during BSP, people experience that sense of euphoria, which is one of, one of the experiences. So, so now we'll have an increase in rush for Bhavaspantana, I think. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's, 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 it's very powerful. And, and, and I, th I think, you know what? This is a very simplistic view, as you know, that it, it, it's a very profound process, but I think, I think it just shows that what people are talking about isn't just in their heads. It, yeah. It's a neurochemical change that happens in the nervous system that gives them, you know, changes their chemistry from within. Yeah. So I, I, I can stop the, I can stop the presentation unless if you have some questions about any of the, any of the slides. No, no. Like this is the first slide in my life. I think I'm very attentively listening. Usually I sleep okay. in class. <laughs> so I got everything. Like I perfectly understood. Yep. So thank you so much. And like, so like, I would like to know, like, uh, I'm quite sure a lot of listeners would like to reach out to you. So what would be the best form like email or what, where, where would they be able to? You know, now what I can do is, um, I can, I can send you my, I can send you my email address if you like. Yeah. And, and they can, they can, they can reach out to me that way. Okay. I'll link it in the description for them. Yeah. Yeah. So, so I like, uh, is there something like, what would you like to add to the listeners? Like, something more you have to say you know, like, what, I don't know no, I'm out of questions like I'm like blown away by the presentation like I'm like okay I need to post this fast <laughs> what I'll do that is I'll, I'll just sort of um, so the, the presentation is just it's just I would say it's just the rational logical it, 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 it I think it, it'll give people who are already practicing some confidence and it'll it'll you know those people who are skeptical I'm not really sure if it's if it's really going to work yeah it'll give them some hard evidence that that um, uh, that that this that this stuff doesn't really work, okay. But for me, all of this just opened up a journey. I mean, I, I think doing inner engineering and you know working volunteering for Isha opened up a path, which which I think has increased the well-being in my life. And one thing I also want to add is, when you know, in in terms of when people want to maximize their well-being, one thing that's also helped me, and along with doing the sadhana, doing the practices, is also 
adopting an Ayurvedic diet. So Ayurveda, I mean, it, it, it has, um, you know, it, it recommends how to eat seasonally. And one of the things I've noticed that the, the quality of the body and the diet type of diet that I'm eating, eating has a big influence on, on body chemistry. And, um, and we talk about different gunas, you know, there's sattva, tamas, rajas. And if we eat in a way that promotes uh, sattva, uh, I've certainly noticed that my mind, the momentum of the mind is much, is, is, is far less. And, and it's less like, I'm less likely to run away with thoughts. So that's also helped, helped in a, in a, in a huge way. And, um, and also there's, there's Dinacharya daily routine. So it, which, which means, you know, it, it, it recommends when to get up, um, it, you know, when to sleep, how much to sleep, and, and it's all about... And we have uh, your Dinacharya. <laughs> yeah, so my Dinacharya involves, um, you know, I mean, I, 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 because I work, you know, I, I work part-time, I don't work every day, so, so the days that I work, I get up at 3 a.m. Oh. And, and to do, I do my sadhana, and my sadhana involves, um, you know, Anga Mardana, it, 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 um, then Surya Kriya, then uh, Shambhavi, Shambhavi Mahmudra. Then I do some chanting, you know, I chant um, Brahmananda Swarupa at 6.20 a.m. Then I chant uh, the, the uh, Lingabhairavi Devi. Oh, okay. Then, then I've got a, some other chants. I mean, I'll, nice. uh, you know, I've got a few other, few other chants and, 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 and things like that. I also do the prostration to Devi, you know, the Devi Gudi. So, I mean, I, I, I do the prostration. You have the Devi Gudi? Yes, I have the Devi Gudi. <laughs> oh, okay. So, so I also have Dani Lingi Yantra because uh, last year I, I did, um, I went to the ashram and I did Linga Seva. Oh, okay. So, so I brought back the Yantra. So all of that has yet energized the space and I've got a big uh, Sadhguru photo. I mean, I've, I've, I've set up a, a little shrine, you know, that, that energizes the space. You should so send us a pic so that I can put it in the description. And then I, and at night I, I, I sort of, um, Light, light a lamp in my in our bedroom and also in my son's bedroom. So the, the ambience, the space has been created. So in the morning I do this, and then when I finish my sadhana, I um, I go and have breakfast. So according to the Dhanacharya, it says that you should not um, sleep past six a.m. You should always get up before six because after six a.m. the uh, tamasic tamasic guna um, accumulates, so it becomes harder to get up. Actually, it, it becomes heavy. <laughs> No. And particularly for people okay. who are prone to depression, okay. uh, it's certainly not a good idea to pass, sleep past six because it can make you feel more heavy. Uh, okay. So getting up before six is a must. But I, but I, but I'm, so on the, on the days that I go to work, I'm getting up at three. And on the days that I'm not working, I sleep until 4 a.m. Okay. So, <laughs> so get up at four. So, you are saying so sleep until 4 a.m. Most people will be like 4 a.m. <laughs> so for me, even on weekends, I, do, I, I, get up, I get up at four because I notice that when I do my sabana and I follow the dinachari, I'm very energized, right? But if I let any of this go, then I'll start to become heavy and, and then it'll be it'll, the momentum or the inertia to break out of these states will be very difficult. So then I have breakfast and re breakfast should be had between six and eight. And um, I can recommend a book to everybody by, by a teacher of Ayurveda. It's called Ayurveda Lifestyle Wisdom by Acharya Shunya. She, she's from Ayodhya from a long line of teachers, but she settled in, in California about three decades ago. She's a lot of Western teachers, so she's been able to communicate this in a, in, a, in a very in a very useful way. So I'll send you that link as yeah, well. You'll so find it in Amazon somewhere. It's definitely in Amazon. It's definitely in Amazon. 
So, so it means, I mean, you know, eating between 6, 6 a.m. and 8, 8 p.m. And then don't eat between meals. And then the, so, so then the next meal should be lunchtime between 12 and 1. So that's when the, the physiological, the metabolic processes are most intense. So that's the time to eat. And also the biggest meal should be lunch. And the second biggest meal should be uh, breakfast. And at supper time, at, at dinner time, uh, that's when the digestive process is weakest. So either have a light meal or don't have any meal. So I actually don't eat, I, I don't eat supper. I only eat two meals a day. So I have breakfast and I have lunch. And the main thing is I do not eat anything in between meals. And I don't sleep and I, I don't eat at night. So, so the, and also uh, go to sleep before 10 o'clock. Go to sleep, and so so this is this is the basic this is the basic dinacharya, and also then um, then many other things like um, you know avoiding intoxicants. I mean, I've I've tried my fair share of in, intoxicants, and and you know no alcohol, no drugs, those sorts of things, and I, I don't I, I don't do those things. Um, so all of that all of that also all of that also helps. Have they naturally dropped off? Like they have naturally doing this practice? They naturally dropped off because yeah. I mean I remember um, you know once I started doing. Once I started doing Shambhavi and so on, I noticed that um, you know intoxicants no longer had any effect on me because I think a lot of it is because maybe maybe the, the natural endocannabinoids have gone up, so I don't need external external sources anymore. And also, what I've noticed, when, you know, my own experience with intoxicants is, for a short, pleasurable experience, but there's also a there's also a very unhappy feeling that comes. Like with alcohol, you know, it may make you feel lighter, but then there's a depressive effect that becomes. And with cannabis, what it does is, yes, it'll lift you, but it'll also make you very anxious and very paranoid. So it's it's never a clean experience, a very dirty experience. With with these practices, it's very very clear. And and right now, what I I can actually just using my breath, I can go into a very pleasant state, right? So so whereas if you're dependent on intoxicants, you've got to take these intoxicants, right? So so. All of those things naturally dropped away. There was no place for them uh, within my system anymore. Awesome, awesome, <laughs> awesome Ashinana. So thank you so much. Uh, like anything else, like you would like to add? So I think we got the complete package. <laughs> okay, okay, okay. Yeah. sure, sure. Like dinacharya, like so. Yeah, I forgot to ask. Like so, people like uh, so anyone who is suffering from mental health issues. So do you think like? Like at what level should they, you know, go for this? Like what for an extreme case, should they go for medication? Like how do they find the balance between like this? Yeah, so, so I mean, I, I think this is this is what I've sort of, I know that it, at, um, you know, I, if, if you're going for ISHA programs, they will they will do screening. They'll, they'll screen you for your, um, any kind of mental health history that you have. And they will, um, uh, you know, the, the, they'll, they'll advise you on, on whether you should take, you know, Indian or engineering or any of the advanced programs. So, so Isha Kriya, also Upa Yoga, anybody can learn online. Inner engineering, anybody can take, you know, and, and I think, I don't think they, any, anyone has access to it. And I would say that, I would say that um, certainly anybody would benefit, benefit from these things. And if people are in, in extreme states, they should, they should definitely seek professional help. Um, and I think that's that. That also, I think, it, it is what sort of the Isha teachers would say as well. Yeah. It, and I've, I've heard when listening yes. to volunteers for Isha programs, this is definitely what what they would say. But, but so so really, I mean, the programs that are the practices that are that have been put out there for free, like Isha Kriya, Upa Yoga, Chit Sati meditations, inner engineering online. I think they're 
put out with the awareness that anybody can really do this. And I, and I would say that even, you know, I, just listening to um, Sadhguru, he's, he said that, you know, the, the Upa Yoga practice can bring basic mental, emotional, and physical stability. And I think it's, it's my impression that if people, if people do that practice, um, you know, and, 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 and they do it consistently, they, they can achieve a great deal of stability through that. Like if they like children start practicing itself, they can remain immune to this mental health issues. Like I think, like, I, th I think, I think what what so so that's my hope, and I think one of my interests is um, researching how meditation and yoga can increase people's stress resilience, because we know that with mental health issues, it's not that you inherit a gene from your parents and you become depressed. It's, it's just that whatever vulnerability you may have because of your genetics or because of the way you were raised, you have to have stressors, certain stressful situations to trigger any you know, depression, anxiety, what have you. But we know in the mental health world that we call, it's called a stress diathesis model. So you can have vulnerability, but you need a stress to activate it. Okay. So what, what it means is that if you can improve your tolerance to stress, you can then avoid, you know, then if you can cope well with stress, you can avoid having depression, anxiety, all those things. So, so I, I, my, my personal interest is, is actually to bring these practices to schools, such as Upa Yoga, Isha Korea, to the school system, so that kids can learn this as part of the academic curriculum, so that they are, so their coping and their rest, stress resilience is boosted from an early age, so they can handle the stresses of life, and so they won't, you know, so they'll reduce their chances of getting depressed and anxious and so on. Because now what I'm recognizing is that um, anxiety, depression is very common in young kids. And many young children are going on antidepressants and so on, precisely because there isn't this prevention strategy in medicine. So in, in, in almost every other field of medicine, for example, in cardiology, we know that we should go and exercise. <laughs> if we eat unhealthy food and we don't exercise, our arteries will start to clog up with cholesterol and we'll have an heart attack. Heart attack. But we don't wait until we have a heart attack to do something about it. What we do is we go and we eat healthy, we exercise, right? But it should be the same for mental health. We should treat the brain in the same way. We, don't, we shouldn't wait until we're depressed or anxious to go and do something about it. We should be training our mind, our brain, and our physiology to be resilient to the stressors of life so that, so that um, these things happen. So there needs to be an exercise for the mind and for the system, for the human system. That's what yoga and meditation, these practices are. That's what the yoga and the kriyas are. So I'm seeing Upa Yoga, I'm seeing, um, you know, Isha Kriya, Inner Engineering, and Shambhavi Mahamudra, all these practices as enhancing the resilience and capacity of the human system so that it can tolerate stress. But we all know that it's not just about tolerating stress, it's just one small side effect. It can make you a much more functional human being. So one thing I wanted to add is like during, during um, our volunteering, as you know, that many people would consider what kind of things that happen, the volunteers do basically superhuman. Right? Yeah, yeah, right. <laughs> we have certain practices, everything yeah. is controlled. So, so we know that the body can, under the right conditions, the body can function far beyond its capacity. Not only can it avoid disease and illness, it can function at extremely high levels. And I think these practices, if we start them early enough in life, they'll just naturally give us enhance our capacity. Thank you so much, Ajinanna. I think this was a boost for my sadhana. I'll start waking up a little more early now. <laughs> I was getting up a late. So, thank you so much, Ajinanna. It's been a, really a pleasure for, for me to take this podcast. Thank you okay. so much. <laughs> Namaskaram. Namaskaram.